out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with Ellie Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. And welcome to Our Wild World. Today we have special guests Marie Wilkinson and Cyril Christo. Over the past several months, we've been talking a lot about elephants on Our Wild World, and there's a reason for that. And today we have our special guests uh, who are in- incredible photographers, and they're also uh, writers and journalists, and uh, they've been doing a lot of work over several decades with elephants. Good morning, uh, Marie and Cyril. How are you today? Good morning. Good morning. So Thanks you're for having uh, us. Oh, my pleasure. It's, it's, it's a thrill to have you here. Um, I, I hope that we can engage our listeners, um, on a whole different aspect and a whole different level of how humans and elephants, uh, relate to each other and have over hundreds of thousands of years. We're today in such a crisis. We're hearing in the headlines so much about uh, the ivory crisis and poachers and uh, the demand from Asia for ivory and addressing these issues and these crises. But what you guys um, offer, and I'm sorry to say you guys, what you two offer is a whole new, I don't even want to call it new, it's really a very, very old, ancient perspective on the spirit-mind-body connection between elephants and us. And you've published uh, several not only photographic uh, journals, but um, books on this. Can you tell us a little about how this started for you? Um, Well, we started actually looking at um, three indigenous groups, one in Africa, one in North America, and one in uh, Australia, and looking at their connection to the land. Um, and all of these groups lived in areas where there was uranium mining, and all three groups had story about the importance of protecting the land and not, not digging up this uranium because it would create sickness. And as we delved into the Bushman side, the African side, we discovered we didn't really understand how people lived on the land, and we didn't understand. There was a, there's a huge connection between 
Um, there's some hunter-gatherer tribes. There are there are pastoralists, people who raise cattle, and there are agricultural um, groups. And all of these different groups have a very strong, deep, and broad relationship with the land, with the place they live in. And they don't think of themselves as necessarily better or having uh, dominion in the sense of control of the land. They see themselves as part of a larger system. And as we explore the people uh, from Eastern Africa, from Ethiopia down the coast and then across through Southern Africa to Botswana and Namibia, we discovered many different um, ways of relating to this land and many different stories. And um, one of the things as we went down the road of exploring the people, we discovered there are animals that change the landscape as quickly as we humans can change the landscape. And the Western mind or the European mind has a very different um, sense. If somebody else knocks down a forest, it's horror. But if we do it, it's okay for some of us. Um, And the elephant is one of those animals that you just can't miss. <laughs> it's a landscape changer. I've often called the elephant, you know, the landscape architect. Yes. And and so we started to understand how, how they actually were integral to the evolution, the natural evolution of a landscape, of an, of an ecosystem. And then we started to, you know, and they're very dangerous. Um, you don't want to go walking amongst a herd of elephant. You don't even want to, if you see them, you don't, you want to make sure which way the wind's blowing and you don't want to get near them. Well, like um, all wildlife, there's a potential for uh, danger because we don't often read the body language. Um, as you had said, we have a tendency to hold dominion over everything else beneath us as opposed to what I think you're saying, um, the, the, the tribal or landscape uh, continuity and part of the landscape that the tribal communities are, which they can walk amongst elephants without that same danger as, as, as us. Well, they, they also, the, the danger is still there, but there is a, there is an understanding and a recognizing that, there you that, go. that there, that different, different species, whether it be plant or animal, have different, different needs at different times and they need to be, some needs are absolute and some needs are seemingly, I'm going to say frivolous, but that's not exactly the right word, but not as necessary. And there are ways of working around it and through it. But as with the Native Americans, there is a, there is a relationship established with the various um, animals, and in particular the elephant, that allows people to survive and honor um, it, an animal that, that renders their landscape habitable, if you will. There's a story we wrote in uh, Orion, uh, a piece uh, in June 08, when we were just realizing what was going on, and it talks about the Ogiko, the Ondorobo, one of the oldest groups in Africa, hunter-gatherer groups, and they talked about the time they lived and walked among the elephants peacefully, that they would start, uh, they would, they, they, the Ondorobo would eat the Olorondo fruit in imitation of the elephant, and then boil the acacia bark for its sugar, um, all the things that we learned from the others. Uh, from the elephant, and uh, the the fact that they live probably in in in, in as much coherence as, as as imaginable has has been altered, and that's one of the the great things is, that's that's been sundered recently is that human non human uh, connection. Um, 
But there's many, many ways to talk about it. We learned that that the, the, the Maasai and the Sambu, the Ma group, language group, they have a concept called Tenebo, which sees the coherence of the family group, the dynamic of the family elephant group, as a model for human interrelationships with the extended family, the allo mothers, all the, all the acoustic biologists, the women biologists, especially the, the, the Pools and Cynthia Malsa's, uh, Katie Payne, looking at what is that family structure, but the native people have known this and what is what is essential is to understand the native story in relation to what 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 is going on on the ground and this can be extended to other animals not not always as as impactful or necessarily as cognizant of themselves as the elephant but that's that's the basis of what we started to learn and we have some amazing stories that we're trying to bring out in a film called The Last Stand of the African Elephant so let, let me uh, interject here for a minute. What I'm, you, you both have said some very, very powerful things that is very different than what we're hearing in the headlines. First of all, the ancient connection that we do have with wildlife and that it comes from our history, our, excuse me, our ancient ancestors. And what we hear today in Europe or, uh, the North America, the Western culture, we've lost this connection and now look at it as something other, but we're trying to refine, re, renew and reimagine and recreate this connection with wildlife. And what your, um, what your work seems to have been focused on, not seems to, what your work is focused on is that that connection is there. It hasn't been lost. It's still very much alive with um, the people that you've worked with in different uh, countries and different, different tribal nations and that your work is about reuniting that with us, the Western culture. Would, would that be a, a, a simplification? You, you, you see it everywhere, yes. of course. That's exactly Yes, it. Yeah. that is. And, and rather than, I mean, ironically, Disney has been, a, has connected, first it objectified these animals, but ironically, it is one of the last um, windows in. Yeah, but um, I, you know, my, my children, problem with, we need to move, with, we need to, we need to move deeper. Into yeah, our, do you think, okay, since you brought up Disney, I, I didn't know we were going to go here, but this happens to be <laughs> one of my, my things. I mean, every generation has grown up with Disney. Um, there's a, a columnist, uh, um, and, and a writer, uh, Miami Herald, uh, oh, Carl Hyacin, whose goal was to be kicked out of Disney, and he accomplished that. But Disney, we all grow up on Disney, but my problem is, is it's so anthropomorphic. And we do need a certain amount of anthropomorphism to relate to animals so that we can understand that they do have emotions, feelings, senses, not like ours. Their language is not like ours, but they have it nonetheless. So my concern with Disney and all the animated um, Ice Age um the wild, all these animated films is that, and I'm sure you've seen it in Africa too, is that it's a movie that you can go out and you can touch these animals. Just not even five minutes ago, we're talking about the danger aspect and potential danger of walking amongst wildlife. And yet here, our cartoons, our animated adventures are saying, oh, go have fun, go touch, go out in the wild because it's made for us. Well, exactly, and that that is the that is the big problem, and that is at this point our only um, obvious 
connection. I guess mass cultural connection. I mean, I, I guess you could argue there's there there's National Geographic and PBS. Um, who knows who who watches those things? And there's the zoo, but it really doesn't allow you to um, experience both the awe, wonder, and danger um, of these wild exactly. living beings, these creatures. Exactly. So we've got this dichotomy going on. We've got Disney, we've got the zoo, and we have the real wildlife, and we have the tribal stories. So what I think your work, starting with um, the 2011 uh, Agony and Ivory article, which I'd like you to tell us a little about, and your other books, starting from 2003 all the way through 2010, let me see if I've got them right, The Last Stand of the African Elephant, a documentary, 2004, Lost Africa, 2009, The Book Walking Thunder, 2010, Elephants on the Edge, then Lysander's Song, and I'm going to let you guys tell us about that, and now the the film project, Walking Thunder, for 2013. So you guys have spent a, a decade at least in trying to revitalize and bridge the gaps between Disney, the zoo, and the ancient culture connection uh, with wildlife, specifically elephants. And I know, Cyril, in our conversations, it's also lions, it's polar bears, it's tigers. Um, Mm -hmm. But your goal is to revitalize this connection and bridge that gap. So I think this show today is really important. Go ahead, Cyril. One of the dialogues, thank you, is is that it's not just about what's wild in us and what 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 we encompass as beings, but and the other beings in the world, but a sense of of freedom. There's an extraordinary story in Romain Gary's The Roots of Heaven, when he underwent the very unique experience of the concentration camps and what they entailed. And you think, well, what does that have to do with elephants? And they mentioned some of the, the, the prisoners, they mentioned elephants, um, which is important to me because my grandfather was one of the people beating up on the Italians in North Africa, in Chad, and Libya. Huh. And the prisoners would dream of the elephants still free out in the wild. And they, they often were thinking, wouldn't well, it be wonderful if the elephants or a troop out of the blue, out of one's imagination, but somehow were to come over and knock over the SS men. Huh. What we're dealing with huh. with with uh, wildlife conservation is often what what somebody has called the uh, conservocrats. You know, somebody who I know who is working with Interpol trying to stop the, the 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 poaching. It's ultimately not about just the freedom of the animals, but coming back in our minds, in our heart, and in the soul, just like those people who were behind barbed wire, because the abject materialism, which is what we're facing in terms of reducing an animal just to bones and teeth, is something that even David, Henry David Thoreau mentioned, somebody who had almost been nowhere except everywhere in his mind, where he talked about the whales being killed and the elephants. I have the quote somewhere. It's extraordinary. And he said, what if a, a greater species of being or a being species, uh, uh, creatures larger than us were to come and take us for our bones and our, uh, to make flagellates out of our body parts? And we've talked, we've talked about this, um, yeah. and, and, and it's fascinating, and I, I definitely want us to share it with our listeners today, because this is what's so wonderful about your projects. 
um, and, and bringing this to light in not just about the conservocrats or the conservation or give us your money so that we can, um, go fence off an area and save the animals. It's, it's so much deeper than that. Cyril, I have a quote from you that I'd, I'd just like to read, and then um, I'd love both of you to expound on it a little bit more, and I think it sums up what you've both been saying here for a little bit. Elephants have influenced us biologically, culturally, and mythically for hundreds of thousands of years. When we stare into their eyes, we stare into the eyes of origin. Without the elephants, we lose our ballast. We have this decade to stop the slaughter of the innocents. Their future is our fate. And then you go on to um, say, what do elephants have to do with children? And your answer to that question is everything. So let's let's explore this for a little bit, both of you. The future of elephants. We, in, in the film, we dedicated to Lysander because when he was born, there's a whole process of childhood, and Marie could talk about this even a little better, is about wonder and about taking in the world anew. Um, we learned from a rabbi in South Africa when we were finishing uh, a little journey about the lions, the white lions and then the, the, the tawny lions and the Kalahari, and he said, oh, you're working on the elephant. Do you know in our book, I think it's in the Talmud, we talk about the elephant, the word kil, elephant, is the root of the verb pela, to wonder in Hebrew. Huh. That there we go. We walked out of Africa right alongside the elephant. The Samburu of all people, cousins of the Maasai, say the elephant is the most important being. Of course, they're partial. It's in Africa, but they would say similar things in Asia in terms of mind. That sense of mind and wonder, if you have wonder coming through your mind, taking in the world and being mystified by it or or in awe and respectful and keeping your curious and curious, you are going to hopefully respect it. That the, 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 we've lost that obviously in, in, in the, especially in the last hundred years. Um, the elephant has been part of our, our, our evolution terms, in terms of finding water. They, the, the tribes say they, the elephants know when the rains are coming. They know when the rainy, rainy season is arriving. They know where to find water from 20 kilometers away at least. We, we're only beginning with the, with the, wonderful uh, ladies we mentioned to understand a little bit of what they're saying. But much more than that, the native people have understood that there's a connection. When the Samburu came down from the Sudan into Kenya, one lady told us a story at the sacred peak of Mount Nero in north, northern Kenya, just about a few hours from Lake Turkana. Okay, Cyril, I, I need to... They were by the elephant. I, I, I want you to hold that thought because this uh-huh. is a fabulous story and uh, we need to head into a little bit of a break. So um, if you'd like to call into the show and ask Cyril or Marie questions, you can call in at, at 1-866-472-5788 and you can find out more about Cyril and Marie at their website at www.christoandwilkinsonphotography.com and that's W-I-L-K-I-N sonphotography.com and we'll be right back after the break. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big. Scary. Beautiful. 
predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up, our forests don't grow, our communities go hungry, our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect, it's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Welcome back to our wild world. We're talking with Cyril Christo and Marie Wilkinson. And even during the break, our conversation continued on. I wish I didn't even have to take a break. We have so much to say, and I don't know that we're going to get through it all. But we left uh, right before the break. Cyril was going to tell us a story. So I'd really like to hear this story. And then we're going to get into a little more background of how this came about to be. Cyril? The, the the work in general or the no you were talking about you're, the you're, woman from Sudan I mean when the ma came down from Sudan the Samburu the, the Samburu were befriended by some uh, a group of elephants and they couldn't find water and this mother was with her few children and we learned this at, at Mount Nero we were coincidentally there a few days before 9/11 and Marie had a premonition of the world changing and it was an extraordinary time and so we were with people who were very uh, used to the land, used to to sharing their 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 stories and their myths, and uh, this story, which is something that probably happened, is not something that most people talk about in terms of conservation. So, what what I would like to uh, can you tell proffer? It, it's just a group of of people, uh, some a clan that walked alongside the elephant, and they were helped to, to find water and 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 survival was dependent on the elephant. This um, reminds me of um, the elephants of Timbuktu that know the ancient water routes and the people follow the elephants sure. uh, yep. for their cattle and then the conflict that inevitably arises when yep. elephants and cattle and people all need the same water. Um, you'd also mentioned, uh, Cyril, to me during one of our many, many conversations, which I enjoy so much, 
um, a story that will be in the film, Walking Thunder. I've seen the trailer. Um, it's, it's so beautiful. It's magnificent. Not only your photography, but the theme of the life force as opposed to the academic conservationist mindset telling us all the facts and figures and numbers. Um, what's so important about what you're doing is it's about the life force connection between humans and elephants. Can you tell us a little about that story and what's coming up in Walking Thunder? And then I'd like to get into how you got the, um, uh, Vanity Fair article written. So tell us that little story first. You want me to tell that little story, Cyril? Yeah. It's kind of, it's interesting. Um, it's, it, it actually highlights some, some larger issues besides just the elephant. But there's a family of Kikuyu people who live, actually come from around Mount Kenya area. And these people were, um, uh, share tenant farmers in southern Kenya between um, Amboseli and Savo National Parks. And um, one night, uh, this was a young couple, the woman was heavily pregnant, and she started, she went into labor, and they waited what they thought was probably a little bit too long. She went into labor in the middle of the night. So in the middle of the night, maybe 2, 3 in the morning, they start walking to the clinic and there, it's, it's very dark and it's also very scary. There are a lot of wild animals and they come across an elephant. So the elephant approaches them and the woman falls down and the man, uh, sees the elephant coming and he just runs to get help. And he assumes the elephant is going to get his wife and he runs back to the village. Now they've already been walking for a while. So she falls down, she's, she's in the midst of giving birth, and he, that's the last he sees of her. And he gets back to his village and gets a bunch of people to come with him. And when they get back to the site where he had left her, they see a pile of brush, but they don't see her, and they see the elephant still standing there. And they're absolutely petrified. They think, oh, the worst has happened. She's been killed, um, and there's no baby. And then they hear the baby crying. And the elephant stands and watches, and then the, the woman gets up, and they see that she's fine and the baby's fine, and they come to her, and the elephant walks away peacefully. And what the elephant has done, and we've heard a number of other stories around, about this. In fact, they do this with, um, if, if they've actually killed a human as well, they create a, they create a protection from the predators, from the hyenas and leopards, and lions that might be out um, looking for opportunistic prey, they create a little uh, a fence, a protective fence, so that the uh, other this animals can't come in and get the baby. Okay, you've just said another. That gives gives me chills, and I and I've I've heard the story, and it still gives me goosebumps. So what just came to my mind is, in terms of our conversation that we're having in life force, that the elephants built a protective circle around the woman and the baby. So once again, your whole connection here and what's so fabulous about not only your photographs but your work is this connection that, you know, we do the same thing, we being people. We create 
protective circles. I mean, it goes back through all of our spirituality, our religions, um, our life forces, our new spirituality, our reconnecting. We build protective circles, and it's it's about a reconnection. And the elephants are doing and have done the same thing for millennia. So once again, you've highlighted incredibly another connection that we have with elephants. Um, so you've done a lot of work uh, to highlight your perspective of elephants and uh, Cyril and Marie, you, you had a big part in getting that Vanity Fair uh, article, Agony and Ivory, written. Can you tell us just a little bit about that struggle or if it was a struggle? Uh, we, I thought that the photographs uh, were doing what a lot of photographs do, but Marie and I thought maybe we should get some some thoughts out that are in the video form because uh, maybe more people, it tells a story, it uses sound. I looked at a few little... Uh, we had done a little video with uh, called The Last Stand of the African Elephant, which is on YouTube, narrated by Ali McGraw, that was used, used by Wild Aid um, about three years ago. And it was shown in the domestic airline system of China. But around that time, we were also saying to the world, this is one of the biggest issues of... This entire century. And wait, the issue elephant. being the issue being, being the, elephant, the, the, the rising the, the rising the, the slow increase. At that point, it was an increase that wasn't exponential. It wasn't, it wasn't what it is today. But the, uh, the ivory. ivory poaching was okay. increasing because, um, quite frankly, China had been had come into parts of Africa, particularly in East Africa, um, and were building infrastructure. Um, and right. they were they were sending their own workers over. Right. So they were building roads in remote areas near parks where the elephants are. And as we know, um, there is a huge um, admiration for ivory in in Asia. There's That's an, an understatement. Incredible art form, carving art form. Um, but then there's also just some very banal. Um, Desiring for for objects and trinkets of status um, made of ivory. Now, one thing I will say is that ivory is supposed to be one of the most beautiful substances to carve, and so they're, and they they also prize African ivory over over Asian ivory. Yeah, um, I was reading an article the other day um, uh, with all the elephant crisis that's going on that China has very uh, strict and severe protections uh, for the Asian elephant, um, highly protected, highly secure, but they're not giving the same attention or care or respect or security to the African elephant, and and that's what's causing a lot of the issues right now. So we could get into a whole other discussion, and I'm more than happy to have you back um, discussing China and ivory, um, because that is what is in the news today, along with the extinction of rhino. But I really want to stick right now with um, your concepts of childhood, so, innocence, and our connection with elephants. Well, just really quickly, the, the agony in ivory came up as, as an article as we were starting to see um, this increase in poaching and the need to raise awareness um, about the elephant uh, at least, in, at least in North America, if not nationally, and and so the connection to childhood, and uh, so our our approach is that 
we need to actually understand why we should value the elephant, why the elephant is, is so vitally important to not only the health of the planet, but the health of our psyches. So why do you think it's so hard for us to get that here in, in North America? Is it distance? Is it one that them. we don't have elephants here? Um, I mean, Cyril was saying the other day of a friend who went there and called him and said, I'm surrounded by elephants. And Cyril said, well, yes, of course, that's where they live. Why do you think it's so hard for us to make this psychic connection to to protecting we, we, the we elephants? Started- when we started to conquer the West, it's 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 a little bit why when we were trying to, I think there was a, some big uh, issue in, in Meriwether Clark when he was looking at the frontier in America. We had knocked out the buffalo by the close to the, the 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 second third of the 19th century, and then we started to conquer other territories. And the Chinese are doing similar things. They're not only getting the elephant and uh, ivory in Africa, but they're looking at land in Madagascar and Sudan and Zambia for their crops in the future, and they're looking forward. And, and not necessarily a productive way for the planet, but we've lost a connection to to place. It's one of the things that we were looking for is El Dorado and paradise, and uh, whether it was the Spanish or the English, and we marveled at the trees. It's in it's in uh, um, the the early 19th century writers who were writing about this in the prairie. You know, James Fenimore Cooper. They're extremely articulate. There's a line about that in, in, the, in the Great Gatsby. It was once a great paradise, and what, what have we done to, to, to the whole ethos? But when we were trying to get this idea to the mostly the East Coast establishment, and I won't name them, but nobody listened, but uh, we, we, we were very persistent with a wonderful uh, assistant, one of the top editors of Vanity Fair. They, uh, they got the point every 10 days, we called them. We gave him finally after three, four months, after I, I nicely badgered him, saying this is the biggest issue of our time, along with the ice and the future of the rainforest. Uh, I think more important even than Iraq in some ways, not in terms of lives taken, but in terms of a hundred years from now, when will we look back? We've always butchered ourselves, but what we are doing to the natural world is in, in, incomparable. Uh, they listened, but they never, they, they didn't seem to, to, to bite. And then, uh, we, I sent them our book, which had a prologue by Dame Daphne Sheldrick, who understood how essential and how much it is about renew, rejuvenating the spirit, and it's about freedom, like that Romain Gary quote when he was in the concentration camps. Well, there's a quote in there about the Samburu, who say, if we lose the elephant, we will lose our minds. After six months, they said, we're gonna go. And Alex Shumatov was coming in from Europe through New York, who didn't have a story, who had written wonderful things, including the first uh, big story on the death of Diane Fossey. He didn't have anything to do. So see, he was nicely sent to Africa. Uh, took six weeks to write what is still the most powerful piece of its kind. And uh, the world supposedly was galvanized for the first time. And well, it was, because it, it, it hit mainstream media in a different way. Instead of the headline news of the disaster section or the world section of um, the newspapers or that two minutes at the end of TV uh, news or or even a wildlife documentary where at the end they give you the last 30 seconds, oh, these animals are dying. The Agony in the Ivory hit um, Vanity Fair, which is a huge media outlet. It has um, a huge distribution distribution list it's fashion it's high fashion it's high media and here is a six-page story the agony in the ivory right in the middle of it i mean it was a tremendous 
accomplishment that um, you pushed to have this made. It, it's sad that it took so long, and it's sad that it's still taking so long. Well, it's so, taken, um, and then it took uh, National Geographic 14 months, but they at least they got on board. Of course, it's National Geographic with the cover issue of Carnage, and that helped other people. Uh, and if I may say, I hope Leonardo DiCaprio does a very, very good job and as powerful as humanly possible. To are you talking, are you talking about know. Blood Ivory? Yeah, if, I, don't, I don't know if that will be the title of the film, but he's shown major interest with Tobey Maguire oh, that's uh, great. of doing the feature film. So we, we absolutely need that in the bloodstream and mind of the world right now. So for our listeners, a bit of chronology here. Elephants have been in crisis for a long time. Um, we here in the West finally got news of this with this article, Agony and Ivory, and then most recently, National Geographic's uh, cover story last October, uh, Blood Ivory, and then their special, Battle for the Elephants, which followed up um, with Brian Christie and um, uh, oh, I'm so, uh, Adrian Adrian Hartley um, on the, the China market. So it really brought to uh, Westerner, Westerners a better and deeper understanding of what the issue is. Not that you'll, just that elephants are dying, but why they're dying. And uh, your books have highlighted this. You've made very strong points to, to get this going and, um, and to bring it to our attention. And you're doing it in such a beautiful way. Um, so... First, can you tell us a little bit more about Walking Thunder? I, I can't tell you how much I love that title. Um, it's, it's so beautiful. It's so poetic. And The Turkana, dear Ellie, they have a story of when, when God sent, uh, the, God could not manifest in the struggle against evil, against whatever the word for Satan is in Turkana, cousins of Sambur up north. Northern Kenya. So God, or the Creator, and Guy sent a uh, representative, the elephant, and then uh, Satan sent uh, lightning, and the elephant trumpeted. And supposedly the story is the elephant won, um, but unfortunately there are not many uh, elephants there in, in that very critical place in the in the Northern Rift Valley in the Horn of Africa. So there's a relationship ecologically between the lack of elephants, I think it's fair to say, and the lack of forests and uh, the lack of rain. But already that sense of thunder, or when they trumpet, um, I was obviously very taken by the, 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 the title of Silent Thunder, but we wanted something that grabs the imagination because we walked alongside the elephant migration paths, or we followed them, or we, we, we went, were right there with them when we walked out of Africa to explore Asia and eventually the New World. So that sense of, of thunder is something that moves you, is also a critically part of our archetype about the elemental realities to the world. And now we're talking not just poetry and philosophy. The native people don't have philosophy. They have a reality. They have a, something which is the larger world. And that's something that is incomparable, the elephant. They, they don't, the Maasai, the Ma language doesn't even have a word for nature. Uh, if I remember, it's called Enkope Ngai, the beauty of God, the beauty of the creator, not the Christian God, but the creator. They can't even imagine a world uh, separate from where the one where we live in. So Which whether is, it's the, the elephants that we have to preserve or the, the cultural basis of those who have the stories, uh, the Sambura are much closer to the elephant than the, than the Maasai, but they, uh, they have their own challenges. The, the, the guys in, uh, on the Arabian Peninsula want their own private hunting ground. 
uh, to go after game, which is causing a lot of problems with the groups of Maasai in the Loliondo region. But those people have they, their story. They will fight to the death. And it's a story we need to realize. And that's why this, the, the, the subtitle of Lost Africa, which was the title that Zagorski did, the, the photographer from, I think, Poland in the 20s, wrote a book called Lost Africa with tribes that we'll never see again in the Congo, especially. The Eyes of Origin goes to the place of where we, we come from, whether it's the ears of origin with the stories, the sounding of the trumpeting of the elephant, the lion roaring. It's about where we came from. So if we lose that base of origin, what, where do we go? Do we go into a place of, of robots and androids, like that article, that wonderful article, The Child's Menagerie, which was how you started the conversation. What will children be given if they're told the lion, the tiger, the bear, the panda, the frogs, the whales have gone the way of the dinosaurs? You don't have childhood anymore. You've brought up so many important aspects right here. I'm trying to keep track of them all. And then you say another sentence and another light uh, question goes off like a light bulb in my head. So what is is so critically and crucially in the crux of what is different about what you and Marie are doing compared to the other shows I've done on elephants, our, our film, The Elephant in the Room, um, the articles that you're reading in the paper, even Vanity Fair and in the books is what you're you're highlighting is this deep deep connection that we have to our world and that elephants are a fundamental part of that connection and where we in the west are so busy consuming um we, i think you said it the other day we have no culture you you'd given me a definition of culture what was that I don't know what the Oxford says, but uh, Marie, it's a trans- it's a transmission of, of of values and mind and stories. If we don't have our stories, Joseph Campbell told us uh, so eloquently, who are we? If we take our iPhones and iPods away, who are we? Um, there's a story of the, that we learned in southern Kenya, where the Samburu are not, from a Maasai uh, gentleman who 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 told us about the story he learned in, in, in from northern Kenya. The, there were 11 or 12 uh, baby elephants who were lost during the heyday of the first big slaughter in our time in the 80s. They were lost. They didn't have their parents. They migrated magically to the Samburu stronghold in the northern part of Kenya, in the Matthews Range. And they were okay. adopted. They were adopted by the, by the Samburu as an extension of their own family because they, they, they have clans that honor the elephant. How did okay. these baby elephants who were traumatized by having lost their parents, know where to go. And this was verified by Giulio Bertoli, who was one of the camp managers in one of the camps there, who uh, said, yes, this is a story that actually happened. The elephants that we visited twice there are the uh, children of those, uh, or the ones who have grown up uh, 30 years later. It's an extraordinary mythic connection. It's an archetypal bond that we really cease to be human without these stories and that's part of the alienation that's part of why we have so many problems with the drugs the problem with the education well we cease to be part of the fabric that is the world uh, the fabric is not simply human the, the fabric is is much it, it, it encompasses it's much everything. bigger than human it encompasses everything and if we start to rend that fabric ragged um 
we're losing ourselves, then we really have no, yeah, are we? we? Um, and on that little moment, um, uh, uh, we have to take another break. So if you would like to email, um, you can email us at wildize at wildeyes.org. You can call in at 866-472-5788. And please be sure to look at uh, Cyril and Marie's uh, website, christoandwilkinsonphotography.com. And uh, I think Marie had said she needed to depart. She's got wildness to take care of. So Cyril and I are going to continue on, and we'll be right back after the break. So, Marie, thank you so very much for joining thank us. Thank you, Ellie. This and I would wonderful. love to have you back. Okay. Thank you. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Welcome back, and uh, we're with uh, Cyril Christo, his wife Marie, fabulous. They're both fabulous photographers. She just had to depart, so you'll have to uh, download and listen to the episode so that you can get the full story of what we've been talking about. And we're talking about the life force and deep connection culturally, mindset, and spiritually that humans have with elephants. And I think we've covered some of the bit of why we've lost some of that in our Western culture, not just North America, but the disconnection we are going through in our Western culture with our our world, our nature, and its deep, deep 
um, embodiment in everything that we do. We left off right before the break of without um, what culture is, that it is the passing on of, of ideas and uh, tools. And, you know, who are we without our culture? Cyril, you had... Um, you said another wonderful quote. You say so many wonderful things. I so enjoy speaking with you. We talk a lot during the week. And one of the things you've said is, we have seen and heard evidence from indigenous people the world over that attests to the challenges of globalization and climate change. What events the eye seizes, what stories we gather, what species, tribes, and life forms we are able to save will be our legacy to the next generation. We cannot tell the children of the future that this is where the wild things were. Um, I think you have a lot to say about this, and I'm going to just let you run with it for a minute. Our son is the impetus for, for the next film, which we might call Walking Thunder. We, I like two titles, and then certainly The Last Stand of the African Elephant, which we might be able to share in embassies around the world. We're in furious mode to try to get that out. Uh, our son is, 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 it was a miracle. We, I was in the bathtub with him when he was born. It's something many fathers don't experience. And then the bread earning comes and, and, and the products we run after to, to supposedly survive. But what I'm calling a deficit uh, of the soul or soul deficit is really um, the biggest issue, I think, ultimately besides the resource base, but they're, they're connected. Um, there was an article we did for Izalwane, a wonderful uh, website started by Tara Lumpkins in Taos uh, on biodiversity in the human animal. And the article was called The Crucifix Moment. Um, if we remember the Christ child, uh, not talking about religion, but there was so much promise about this being and what he could bring to the world. I think we're losing track of what Marvel is in terms of the, the next generation, in terms of what children are about, in terms of why we even have children, not just to have extractions of ourselves uh, and be on automatic pilot and expect that the world will continue as it always, has always been. In this article we did on Izawane, the, the the crucifix moment was looking at this the, the, in, in the sense of the crucifixion. Somebody had so much to give as a child, the, the, this particular being, being, or could have been the Buddha, had so many teachings about not treating others as we would not want ourselves to be treated. Um, the crucifix moment, the, the, that little title, came from, as an idea of what we're doing right now to the life force. We're separating the 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 horizontal layer of what it is to move in the world from the transcendent that which gives values and 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 life and meaning uh the vertical axis so we're at a very very unique time because we'll look back as grismick said in serengeti shall not die and realize that that which makes headlines today will be of no consequence 20 years from now if the lion does not roar, if there are glaciers that still don't move in the Arctic, and that's part of our next book, we may have no more ice in the summer in two summers from now. That is huge. It's not just the polar bear then, it's the whales, the entire food chain, the plankton, and we won't have a reflective cap at the top of the world. Uh, we mentioned that in, in some of the stories from the Inuit that are really quite remarkable, but it goes back to our freedom, because as the elephants helped us walk out of Africa, we became free to become who we are. Now we have to really reconnect or reconsider who we are, one among probably several million species. There was a quote in Romain Gary where he said, uh, when he was in the concentration camp in his novel, I couldn't stand it any longer. I would close my eyes and think of the herds of elephants at liberty 
running freely across Africa, hundreds and hundreds of magnificent animals that nothing can resist, no cement wall, no barbed wire, nothing. They rush forward over the great open spaces and smash everything in their way, and nothing can stop them. That's liberty, I tell you. So well, that you, sounds it, like an analogy of who we yeah. are today, the human species. That's why we have and to be very, very careful. And that we're doing it um, above and beyond every other living creature, every other earthling on our planet. So yes. I think what we've been talking about today is, and what I've been talking about so much on Our Wild World, is this reconnection. And I think you and Marie have beautifully stated the deeper meaning of what this connection is about. It's not so, it's not always what we're reconnecting to. It's what we will lose if we do not reconnect. And I don't want to sound like a doomsayer, but it's more than just TV. It's more than just the iPhone. It's, it's more than just technology. It's that deep connection to who we are, well, our culture, and, and each other. There's a wonderful story by somebody who knew a thing or two in terms of uh, supposedly bringing uh, our ways around the world with, with the technology was Charles Lindbergh. He had arrived in Africa with his plane. He met a Maasai elder, and he was talking about what he was doing, opening up the routes, the air, the air uh, journeys around the planet that he was involved in. And the elder turns to Charles Lindbergh. This is in his Autobiography of Values, which I think is the premise of what we're talking about, he, the elder talks uh, to, the, to, to Charles Lindbergh and he says, we have known a freedom such as you have never known. Absolutely. I think that that's the crux of it right there. We take our freedoms for granted in terms of our uh, constitution and our Bill of Rights and our Declaration of Independence, but those yeah. are human concepts of freedom. In, in and what we're talking about here is a, is a sense of freedom that is much deeper. It's the sense of nature to be free in doing what it does, to be able to evolve. Well, it goes into, to be, our, cellular, it goes into, into our cellular matrix. It goes into really the aspirations of what really we're about. Uh, Lauren Isley once said, one does, one, not, one does not meet oneself, the great writer Lauren Isley, one does not meet oneself until one has seen one's reflection in an eye other than human. So one, oh Absolutely. God, so we're, we're very much do not want this place to be just one where we're looked down on with drones following us everywhere, where we have a thousand cable stations that say absolutely nothing. What Romain Gary was, uh, was concerned about was the, the barbed wire fences, the claustrophobia, the reinforced concrete, the absolute materialism. He said, when you suffer from these things, just imagine this. Herds of elephants charging across the wide open spaces of Africa. Follow them with your eyes closed. Keep them inside of you, and you'll see you'll feel better and happier and stronger. We well, we have, a, we have about we four minutes until we close, and I think you've just brought up so many incredible concepts. I would love to have you and Marie back, but I think the important thing you just said there is that we need to, as, as you said, close your eyes and follow the elephants. And maybe that's why th- there is a resurgence in wanting to go to Africa to touch this, to, to find this root uh, to find this connection to our ancestral being and our core. Africa yeah. is the home of everything. Uh, everything migrated it, from there. It, even mean, in our backyards. Look- we shouldn't have people uh, saying things that destroy their sense of place and community and their own children's sense of wonder. Do we need to annihilate coyotes? Do we need to do whatever we're doing to the wolves? If we lose that voice of the wild, we won't have a west. We'll just have a, a reinforced uh, parking lot. 
um, where where nothing thrives. And this goes to the to again to to the life breath. We've got to arrest this now because I've talked to Hopi and Navajo elders. They say we have until 2020 to turn things around. And the elephant is at the very forefront in terms of the conservation. Not that it's more significant than the whales, but if we can't save the elephant and the whales, what can we save? Everything will not be there in the future. And then the Samburu say the only thing that will be left will be to kill ourselves. You're absolutely right. And that's a really sad, sad way to look at our future. So that's what why I have people who are so incredibly uh, knowledgeable, well-read, well-rounded, and enlightened so that um, our listeners can engage and find that there is hope. Um, I don't want to continue on a doom and gloom, and I'm not saying you are, but that's what the core is, what you just said, that if we lose the wild in our backyard, which is our wild world, which is what I talk about on this show, it's not so far away. It's not just Africa. It's our wolves, our coyotes, our bears, our mountain lions, and we are killing this off in in favor of pavement and parking lots and cows, which is a whole other discussion, and that it is wildness is critical to who we are. Otherwise, cars, commercials, and um, and, and such wouldn't be advertising what they do. I mean, you're always driving out in a wild place. So we need to balance where we are, and we need to take take up the challenge. We're at an unprecedented time in our history, facing unprecedented challenges. And what I like to say is that it provides an unprecedented opportunity to reconnect and reimagine and reunite and recreate the future we want to have. And we can start that right now. The elephant, uh, oh my God, I said, that's the, the, listen to that trumpeting. He said, that's the finest sound in the world, the sound of freedom. That and yeah. a lion's roar. That's, it's, it's, remember the lion also down to only 15,000 now and the rhino about to add a little bit more perhaps. That it's time to do all we can for the African elephants and rhinos and it's time Every to do other. all we can from every perspective. It's going to take many, many, many people doing many, many things from a variety of perspectives, um, horizontal, lateral, vertical. It's going to take all the thinking we've got. And we're brilliant. We're out there. Earth is hiring. So let's, uh, in the clap of your hands, in the bleak of your eye, you can... Uh, See the world from a new perspective, and I hope our conversation with Cyril and Marie um, has helped you do that. And I'm sorry, Cyril, we're out we of time for today. 30 seconds. 30 seconds. But, we go need, ahead. We need, we need to get the congressman and John Kerry, who had the Ivory and Insecurity Conference, extremely important, and to thank Hillary Clinton, who held the Wildlife Conference a few months ago, to continue the pressure and to have diplomatic efforts around the world so that we have the what Robin Gary called such magnificent freedom in the form of these beings continue because it is absolutely part of who we are in the world. Absolutely. So people, write your congressman, write your senator, take take charge of your life, take charge of our wild world. And we're out of time for today. Cyril, thank you so very much. Thank I'd you. love to have you back, and we'll see you again next week on Our Wild World. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. 
again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.